Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. As always, I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, back with another amazing panel. Um, very happy to be joined by Spartan Grown, who uh, made it back on time this week. So welcome, Spartan. Thanks, guys. Sorry I missed last week. but uh, And then I had another. I went right back up north again this weekend, but I got back in time this weekend, flew down the, the Michigan roads and avoided the police and got home on time. So all good. Happy to be here. Jones and it seems like forever, even though I only missed one fucking episode, it seems like I haven't seen you guys in forever. So awesome to see Brandon here. I haven't seen him in a little bit. Awesome to see ATG. Awesome to see all you guys, Matthew, Kyle, Jack, all you guys. I'm just stoked to be here. Super pumped and energized from the weekend at all the Groskies, everybody that came out and saw me. Fucking thank you, man. You just fucking recharged my batteries and I'm just ready to go. You had a good uh, couple of weekends there. You had the birthday weekend and then uh, this weekend, the caregiver event. And uh, it seemed like a pretty good time over there at Bigfoot Lodge, I think, in Michigan. Oh. Seems like a lot of fun was had. So I'm very happy for the people in the mitten. And uh, pass it over next to Brandon Rust. Welcome, Brandon. What's going on, everybody? Good to be back. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been on. Uh, I've been crazy busy. Um, as always, I'm, I'm never not busy. So. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to be here with all the rest of the panel members, talk a little bit about homegrown and the community and everything that's kind of going on. Um, thank you for a little tour of the, the, the new shop here in a little bit. And um, yeah, glad to be here. It's going to be cool. I'll spotlight you so we can uh, get a good nice view. And next up, we got Kyle Breeder. Welcome. Hey, what's up, everybody? Glad to be here again. Um, if anybody's looking for seeds, I just did a huge drop on Friday, which actually crashed my website because there's so much traffic on there, which I guess in theory is a good thing. Um, but it ended, up, it ended up being okay after all that was done and done. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for stuff like that, I have a website, pbreeding.com, predicated breeding on all social media platforms. And uh, yeah, I'm glad everyone's here and everyone's safe and we're still doing this. Couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Happy to have you back as always, Kyle. Pretty awesome to hear about the website crashing. That's, uh, I think, a good sign for sure. I've seen it happen to giant-ass companies like uh, Activision, Blizzard, when they launch games, stuff will crash. And uh, it's usually a good sign that you got more traffic than you or the website was expecting. So I'm happy to hear that. But uh, since more traffic is way, if you're looking for feminized seeds, peabreeding.com, Kyle's got some really cool shit and uh, a lot of really nice crosses that he just dropped. So uh, definitely check them out. I don't know if are the auto fems in this most recent drop or are those still coming soon? Yeah, yeah, those are those are those are on there permanently until told otherwise. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's great news, and uh, let me give a big shout out to Mandalorian Genetics, even though he's not here with us. Uh, I know he's going through a name change, so I'll just say Full Duplex AFN for now because uh, you might be seeing him under a new brand horizon on the new uh, coming up shortly. So, next up we have Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone. Uh, so uh, everyone knows who I am and what I am at that point. But if you don't, I am an integrated pest management specialist. I'm always here to talk about cool pest information and knowledge. Uh, recently, um, I've been talking a lot about um, uh, sort of a soil microbiome uh, research, as well as uh, I'm, I'm actually editing content for a video about uh, 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 dark septate uh, endophytes. And um, uh, uh, radio synthesis and things like that. So that's a really interesting topic that uh, was brought to my attention. I look forward to seeing that whenever you are ready to release it. But next up, we have Aaron the Grower. What's up? Thanks, Jack. Uh, good to be here again. Um, happy belated, Spartan. 
Uh, congrats on that facility, Brandon. I can't wait to see it. I hope we're going to see more of that. Um, I am Aaron, the grower, atgacres.com and uh, atgacres on Instagram and YouTube. Check me out. Uh, good to see everybody. Always happy to have you back. Hope everything's going well for you up there. And I think if Brandon, are, it looks like you're breaking down some herb over there. I don't want to cut you off in the middle of that. Yeah, maybe you want to toke up a little bit before uh, you give the tour or are you ready yeah, to roll? So I'm actually not breaking up seeds. Hold on, I'll show you guys what I'm doing. This. I'm getting ready to count out seeds and stuff. Just uh, re I'm just releasing the rest of the stuff that people have been asking about, but yeah, I'm in my shop. Okay, so I got a new shop for Bokashi Earthworks. It's pretty cool little office area. I keep like products stored in there. And then on opposite side of the office, which is usually the backdrop, I have my little podcast station so I can do educational content. I'll be doing a lot more Instagram stuff on the Bokashi stuff. Um, then I have my, you know, the doors there, front entrance comes into this uh area here i've got some product i'm gonna get a bunch more of my product bagged up and stuff i've got a fabric grassroots fabric pot four by four with the photon tech light and then i'll get a blue mat system in there and i'll grow some vegetables that's gonna be for uh, like social media stuff um and then i have a bunch of actual merchandise clothing uh, socks uh stuff for bokashi earthworks and also for like the seed drops that i did little display stuff. And then I have my back area, which is like my laboratory. Um, got a little sink in here and some fridges, some machines to uh, weigh out packaging. Uh, same thing with for like liquid. So I can fill bottles of microbe plus. And then I have uh, organic amendments that I'll be packaging up. They usually come in like 50 pound increments big ass bags that home growers typically you know if a home grower bought this bag of uh boron sulfate i mean they'd have it for the rest of their lives they only really need maybe you know a half pound of it to last a long long time so breaking stuff down into smaller increments for to make it accessible for home growers stuff like that um we're manufacturing different microbes and stuff in there and of course we have all of our cool you know, posters. We got this one from Masa Negra, the Indiana Bubblegum, a bunch of movie posters and stuff. We're gonna get it all decorated. It'll be cool in here. It won't look. It'll look really. Uh, it'll be. It'll be vibing once uh, it's all said and done. Looks like you're off to a great start already, though. I'm uh, happy that you got yourself a place. This is uh, out in Oklahoma. For anybody who doesn't already know, Brandon's doing some big stuff over there, both in the cultivation side of things and on the business side. So it's cool to check out your new location, and we're very happy for you. And I know I use the product myself. I actually just used the uh, Amino N Plus and the Micro Plus last night when I watered. And my plants are in the uh, stretch right now, just flipped flower. And they just super green, lush growing crazy fast and strong. So I couldn't be happier. Uh, definitely a big fan of the products that I just mentioned, but as well as uh, some of the other stuff from Brandon, like Bokashi I topped us with. Um, but I wanted to make sure that this week, because uh, it just happened this week, we give a big uh, shout out and rest in peace to Frenchie Cannoli and uh, sent some you know thoughts and prayers to uh, Madam Cannoli, her direction, uh, his wife, 
she just lost a great man and it's a huge loss for everyone in the community. For those who don't know, Frenchie is a hash maker. He was on episode 50 of Growing With My Fellow Growers. And uh, he came on the Cheap Home Grow a few times before that as well. But more importantly, I think everyone will remember him for his hash making. I learned how to improve my hash a great deal from watching his videos and uh, emulating what I saw in his techniques. And it took my hash from subpar to uh, pretty damn high quality where it's hard for me to find stuff out there that's as good as what I can make myself now. And that's all thanks to Frenchie. And uh, also shout out to Vegan Doja because uh, my buddy Doja DNA on Instagram took Frenchie's class in person and uh, made a temple ball and smoked me out with that temple ball. And that's what kind of started our friendship. And um, he just is a breeder and hash maker and makes really fire shit. And if it weren't for Doja, I wouldn't have ever heard of Frenchie. So or maybe I would have come across his path, but I definitely learned about him a lot sooner than I would have otherwise. So this definitely wanted to give uh, Frenchie the shout out that he deserves because uh, he had a huge impact on me and I'm no doubt many of the other members of this community and the uh, people on this panel. Do you mind, uh, Jack, if I share a story about uh, experience I had with Frenchie real quick? Yep. Go ahead. Um, so 2014, you guys remember the Chalice Cup? Okay, so... 2014, I'm, I'm, you know, starry eyed, you know, four years new to California, starting these new cups out. And um, I'm helping out uh, a company that I, I uh, not affiliated with anymore. So I was helping them out and just at their booth and Frenchie came over and, you know, the, the owner of the company that I was working for said, you know, this is my hash guy at the time. I was just really interested in hash cold water. And um, so this is my hash guy, if you don't mind just chatting with him for a little while. So I sat down and chatted with him for like 15 minutes. It felt like an hour. Um, but, you know, I showed him my hash and he kind of took a little chunk of it and put it in his hand and smooshed it into his hand, kind of like rubbed it around. And I was like, whoa, what is he what is he doing to my hash? And then he starts talking and I'm, I'm not going to attempt to do an impression of him, but everybody knows how he spoke and it was poetic. Um, and so he kind of just said, I'm activating it. And, you know, he's decarboxylating this, these cannabinoids. And then he actually consumed it. He ate a little piece of it, of my hash. And when I saw him do that, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, this is good. This is good. He's like, you know, so he explained to me that you can judge the quality of this hash by consuming it, by decarboxylating it right there in your hand and consuming it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really nice, man. And he was just such a warm hearted guy that I thought I'd share that. It was the one thing about Frenchie that I always noticed. I never got to meet him in person like that. I wish I had, but uh, he was always so accepting of everybody around him. No judgment. He could talk to anybody. He was always huge smiles. And um, the thing that I kind of, the message I'd like to kind of put out there because it is kind of a downer, right? Talking about such things, but the silver lining kind of a thing on it is like us. I mean, I'm not trying to compare myself to him. Obviously I've got a ways and ways to go, but like us, we are educators and that's kind of what he did towards the end of his life. He was an educator. He went around and just gave free information to everybody at these events and just tried to get everybody because he had the passion for hash and he wanted everybody to have that passion. So I think he's going to kind of live on and all these hash makers that he's affected you know, everybody's got a story like Aaron, you know, I've seen, I've heard countless stories um, about Hashi, about Hashi, about Frenchie from hash makers that have learned from him. So he's going to live on in infamy forever, man, because he is 
taught those techniques to countless hash makers and you know he's going to live on in the craft so i think that's a beautiful sentiment you know there's uh i i got to i was fortunate enough to um meet him a couple of times i uh met him in palm springs at a really small convention i also met one of his apprentices uh lena who's from la she's an excellent hash maker too um i was you know fortunate enough to just chill and smoke and you know just hang out and talk and stuff and uh like everybody said the guy was just always very very bright bright and vibrant um you could just feel his energy and his passion when he spoke about uh cannabis and terroir and hash making and his travels abroad so it was really nice and you know i got to run into him again at uh emerald cup in 2019 because I actually drove up there with Lena and some of the people that uh, worked for the hash company that they had or have. But yeah, it's definitely a loss for the community when somebody like that uh, passes away. But I was like I was saying earlier, these people's legacies <laughs> will live on through the people who they've taught. So the you know, people like Dank Duchess and people like Lena and people like Bell, uh, Blossom Bell and um, all the other people who have learned how to make hash from his classes. Those are the people that are going to remember him and, you know, tell the next generation, yeah, we learned from Frenchie Canole and those people are going to go and see who he was, you know. So it's kind of one of the things that we have to remember too is, you know, at some point, I'll, I like at some point I'm going to be old and I'm going to have an apprentice, you know, I'm going to have people that I've taught and hopefully they'll be able to continue with whatever I've done. You know, I being able to, you know, educate and help and spread knowledge is, is a really great thing. And that's, you know, what, what Frenchie was all about helping people. And I'd say you're already doing it right now, man. Uh, my, I have a family member who's growing in a soil mix that you put out there for cannabis and they're having success with it. And you've taught many people, not only on this show, but other podcasts as well. So I think that legacy is an important one, like you both just mentioned about Frenchie. One thing that I always liked that he brought up was he would be nothing without the farmer. He was a great hash maker, but it came down. He always gave credit to the farmer every single time. The gardener, he said, I'm nothing without the product. And that really is the reality of the situation. And as home growers, we strive to make the best possible product and in if we're going to make hash, some of us will just use our trim, but even the trim from a home grow is a quality that's of the level that can get you that top, top quality hash that he yeah. would produce. And so if you do follow the steps that he showed, I'm going to do a little share screen to show his YouTube. I'm not going to actually show the videos, but I'm just going to kind of highlight uh, this video at the top right here. It says how to make uh, hash with Frenchie cannoli it has 183,000 views from five years ago. That's the one that I'm referring to that taught me basically how to go from Jorge Cervantes style, whipping it with an egg beater uh, for like 20 minutes and then pulling every single bag and I'd have like one or two gold bags, a bunch of green bags. And then, you know, just, it, it wasn't the greatest. So when I learned Frenchie's technique, he walks you through, I think in this video, it's like 45 minutes or something. Let me minimize my zoom. Uh, 58 minutes but if you watch this video this one's a little bit tough for people to understand because he does have a very thick french accent so he re-shot the video here's an hour and 38 minute version of how to wash he shows how to wash in like an industrial machine that most of us will probably never use and then also how to wash in the uh, washing machine like you see here the blue 
uh, little style. He also shows how to dry if you don't have a uh, several thousand dollar freeze dryer, how to make a traditional hash drying room, which is an invaluable uh, lesson for anybody who wants to get into hash making. Then he shows uh, making the hash and- How to roll a joint with hashish. I'm just gonna blurt out and say, I think that's an important one. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of uh, good lessons on this channel. So, I mean, you can go through and find lots of different stuff. Um, this is a cool, he uses like a little heat, like a wand um, to heat up the hash. Um, that was another thing that I learned through Vegan Doja. I, I have the little ceramic uh, wand that you can torch, heat up to smoke the hash with like a three hole hash bowl. Or if you have a regular bowl, get the glass uh, daisy style screens that you can drop in the bottom. You can put your hash right on top of that before you drop it in and then you heat up the wand, press that down. It basically vaporizes the hash and you get really, really tasty flavors coming off of it. So I uh, learned a lot of things from Frenchie. And the one last thing I'll say is the main takeaway, I guess, um, for anybody who doesn't want to watch the 58 minute video is that he combined his bags where a lot of people, um, let's say bubble man, like there, there's another prominent hash maker out there in the cannabis community. He pulls like the 73 and then the 90 and the 120 and the 160 bags and separates them by grade. So you have like, here's my 73 bag and like some stuff dumps in 73 and has good quality there. Some stuff's good in 90, some stuff's good at 120. It just depends on the the trichome is whether it's grown indoor outdoor greenhouse whatever frenchy took everything from 45 to 160 and mixed it all into one batch and he felt that he got a fuller um basically fuller spectrum out of the uh hash by mixing all of the qualities together and then he would roll it with a basically boiling water bottle he used to do 160 drop it down to 140 uh, fahrenheit and he'd roll it for 20 to 30 minutes to make a darker hash to activate it like uh, Aaron the grower was mentioning earlier so that way if it's eaten you can get uh, medicated off it like that or um, when you go to either vaporize it or smoke it more of the THCA has converted already to THC so it gives you a different effect and it's uh, one of the things that he took from the traditional hash making countries but with all that said uh, definitely rest in peace Frenchie uh, we love and miss you and we have a question from the chat unless somebody else uh, has a story. Or I have a serendipitously, you mentioned the, um, the heating system. I actually have I've met uh, Frenchie once in my life. And that was at the Terpenes and Testing World Conference 2018. Uh, that was at the San Jose Convention Center um, in April. And um, I, uh, I sort of, I, I sat at a table with him and many other people that were there as well. And to be honest, I don't remember a ton of that interaction because it wasn't a direct one-on-one -on -one thing. But what I do remember that can corroborate with all the other stories that people have of him was that he was a very kind person in those interactions, very jovial. Um, and uh, I couldn't help but like feel that sort of infectious um, uh, sort of personality. Uh, I, I was also very excited to be there for other reasons because uh, I was on a panel. Um, but it was a very interesting um, and, and cool experience. And I'm really glad that uh, I was able to, to have that sort of like a uh, connection as yeah, sort of brief as it was. So I just wanted to share that as well. I think it was a perfect time to slip it in as we were still talking about him. And I want to add one thing from the chat. Um, Kush Cloud says 160 is like rosin press numbers. And some people do press at that, but rosin presses have tons, literal tons of pressure on them when you're, you're cranking it down. Uh, where what Frenchie is doing is taking a, like usually a wine bottle and he would seal it with boiling water and then wait for it to cool down a little bit. 
and he said a little bit lower because sometimes the trichomes would nucleate if it was too warm but he's basically turning all the trichomes into like one solid mass of resin in a 20 to 30 minute period where he was using a, a food grade turkey bag that wouldn't have any plastics get into the hash and it can handle the heat because you can cook a turkey bag in the oven at much hotter temperatures and not have any issue but uh the one last thing i wanted to say before we get to the question is he always, when he smelled something or something he'd like he'd say like ooh la la and it just uh was one of those things I always loved about Frenchy. And even on the show, if you go back and listen to episode 50, he says, ooh, la, la, la. And he was like really excited. He was talking about, Brandon was talking about the uh, Limerilla, I think. And he's like, oh, yes, yes, ooh, la, la, la. And it was just one of those things. He's a very jovial, happy guy. All the selfies you see with him, he's got a big smile on his face. And he took lots of pictures. That's why you saw over the last week after he passed on Instagram and every other social media people had pictures with him because he was willing yeah. to take those pictures with people and he was super down to earth and a great dude so question from the chat northern grower uh four four six six a topic for you to answer on the show can you answer me this if i'm doing anything for herms if i have four plants in the tent will all four have seeds can i make hash or keef rosin with it or is it trash thanks so if you have a herm, depending on if it's opened, it will seed all of the plants in the room if that pollen is blown around. A little bit of pollen can make a lot of seeds. So I would say that depending on how bad the hermes were, you're going to have seeds in all your plants, depending on how long it went without you noticing it. Um, there will be a decent amount of seeds to just a handful. Um, I don't think it'll be as much as if like there was a male in there, obviously, but I've just finished a run where I made Velvet Punch F3s where I fully seeded uh, two plants. Like there are so many seeds, like a bud like this gets me 50 plus seeds, okay? It is heavily, heavily, heavily seeded. The most heavily seeded I've ever seen any bud ever. More than like Mexi Brick back in the day, more than like my first when I made uh, the F1s into F2s, it was about half as heavily seeded as it is currently. So like this is the most heavily seeded bud I've ever had. And with that being said, it still smells great and it still smokes great. So when I break it down sometimes and I roll it up, smoke it in the bowl, vaporize it, it's awesome. It gets me high. It, it looks good. It's not as potent as if it was unpollinated. I'm sure there'd probably be a little bit higher THC scores, but I do think the different terpene profile maybe from being pollinated makes it have a different high potentially. That's just like a theory that I'm throwing out there. The rumor, the rumor out there that I've always heard is that it's fucking the strongest when it's fucking seeded. Every, even though everyone you ever hear tells you you don't want seeded, but it's the weakest. The old heads always said they wanted the seeded fucking bud. It was the fucking strongest. And, like and I think that's terpene. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I, I don't fucking think it's bullshit when you hear it again and again and again. I don't know, man. I, the thing is, it's just a bitch to separate it, but I think I might have to agree because the Velvet Punch that I've been growing, it gets me really medicated. I mean, it's great. And some of the, the F1 generation, when I it was seated, like it got one of my buddies so high that he actually threw up, like just for being too high. And I was like, that's something you don't really see too often from cannabis. It's a long time, like decade plus user. And there was no other Vortex, variable. Awesome. Dude, so, I uh, passed out a bunch of, uh, I brought a well jar like, like this full to the top to that event and i can't it was empty when i left so i just passed it out to everyone dude and i said this is from jag green stocks fucking velvet punch you got some vegan doja this is the shit we've been talking about <laughs> so it's a lot of people that got it. to try it man i definitely think the people get the grape and the gas and it's got some floral notes i just got a sample from the american one who's not with us this week um 
allegedly, hypothetically, in the mail, and he had like a water, oh my goodness, speak of the devil, and he arrives. The American one has entered the chat room, ladies and gentlemen. He's Can you talk about timing? Like a demon, he's been summoned. Say his name three times and he appears. Beetlejuice, the American Beetlejuice, one. South South Zool. Or, oh, wait, how's it go? Oh, it's South South Shul, South South Zool. If you say South South, he will appear. And uh, we'll go into that later. <laughs> you could ask your friend, actually, Jack. Good evening, gentlemen. Sorry for my uh, tardiness. I just totally got sidetracked. Hey, don't high. fucking apologize. That was the most yeah. best perfect timing entrance I've ever seen. No apologies needed, bro. Okay, I missed it then, but cool. I'm glad I'm here. And uh, hello to chat and hello panel. Uh, I have arrived. I promise it wasn't planned. Like we couldn't plan it that well. So that was uh, just, I mean, literally uh, your ears were burning. We were just talking about how uh, allegedly, hypothetically, a sample might have been sent from the American ones area to Jack Greenstock's area of the Velvet Punch because uh, Spartan was just saying he handed out a bunch of Velvet Punch at his last event. He's got a bunch of people got to try it finally. And it was cool for me to get to try uh, some of the American ones, allegedly, hypothetically. And it was uh, definitely a little bit more unique than any of the other ones I've come across because it had that watermelon flavor that I haven't seen. And any of the other ones I've come across were more grapey. It's like grape Kool-Aid to like candy and like had fuel floral notes. But uh, the American one definitely found some unique stuff in there. So I was very happy to see that. No worries. Uh, thanks for the opportunity for letting me uh, try them out. And yeah, like I was saying, that one was the most terpy and stuff. So it may have not been the tightest nugs and uh, prettiest, but it definitely was the tastiest. So we'll get you another one. I have one. I have that sawtooth uh, cut still that I'm going to end up running eventually. So we'll see. That has different different flavors. So cool. Smokestacks had a really nice fino that where the nugs were just insanely dense, like those ones where you drop them and you get that loud knock on the scale or in the cup. And like he dropped it on a wood table and I was like scared for the wood table, how loud it hit. It's just like, bang, I was like, Jesus, has some dense, dense buds. But um, I'm curious of what the people had to say or think. Did you get to smoke any with the people that you handed some out to? Uh, fucking, okay, so here's, here's a little bit of bad news. So the, it was a two day event Friday, we were up there you know, all day. And then we camped out. And then we were there Saturday all day, camped out. And the event was over Saturday night. Like the public couldn't come in after, I think it was nine. So Friday, everybody's at work, right? For most of the day. And so it got, we got people out there uh, at night. There wasn't hardly anybody during the day. But then a fucking storm rolls in and it rained and it fucking rained and it rained and it rained. So like trying to get anything out, you know what I mean? And light it. I mean, we were doing it under canopies and shit, but uh but i was kind of fucking during the rain i was kind of trying to protect that shit dude because <laughs> i don't know i'm picky about the fucking flower i didn't want to take any of my fucking flower i left, left them in the jars i didn't want the moisture to get to it i didn't want it to mold up and so uh i i kept my shit sealed when it was raining so i we i didn't uh, smoke with anybody but uh, i did pass it out when they were there because they were i don't want them standing around waiting for rain you know so i did pass it out and um but I, we did smoke it several times, but to be fair, when you're camping out for two days, smoking constantly, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for things to, you know, really register. So um, I would forgive everybody if they didn't remember or <laughs> didn't comment, but I'll tell you right now, I can't remember half of the fucking comments on half of the fucking things that we did, man. It's all like coming back to me here and there in memories right now, but uh, I'm just smiling thinking about it, but. Yeah, everybody, it was all well-received. Most people picked out gas over grape, 
uh, on the funeral that I had. Um, so they were telling me that they really liked it. They thought that was really gassy is what the, the number one comment came back as. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just fucking fun for me to pass out that shit and see people light up just like, oh, the shit you guys are talking about, you know? I mean, I don't, it's just, I don't want to sidetrack the whole conversation, but it's just a, such, like I said, recharge your, my batteries is because it's like, it's so awesome to, to, to see the difference in people or say people come out and, you know, I'm going to fucking tear up and shit, but you know, we had people come from like Wisconsin and Oregon and it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, just to come see and talk to us. You know what I mean? It was fucking, I mean, it touches you. Amazing community. I'm really uh, thankful to be a small part of it and just to see everybody get to embrace each other and travel and see each other and celebrate and have fun, share genetics, share flour, share hash. Um, to go back to the question a little bit with the Herms. Um, yeah, like I was saying with my, with my heavy seeded flour, um, I've made dry sift, like when we're trimming, usually to while we're breaking up the seeds and stuff if you have a trim bin that 150 screen makes insanely nice dry sift so i would dry sift anything that you have a high suspicion is seeded and if you have any non-seeded buds you can just trim it and keep it as you would uh, you might even just want to dry sift it and then you can make it into ice water hash get the rest off of it or you can turn it into edibles uh, make it into an oil rso there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do um, they asked about if i can make it hash key for rosin uh, it's definitely not trash. <laughs> That's the uh, the answer to that question, in my opinion. There's seeded bud is not as bad as people make it out to seem, and unless you really, really, absolutely hate breaking it up, but you don't have to do that. There's other processes. So I guess I'll pass it to anybody else and get their thoughts. No, I like that idea. And what I would do further, like after you make your dry sift, because you're gonna break up those buds anyways. You get get after those seeds if you have seeds. You're gonna probably want to hold on to them anyway. What the hell? Why not? At least I do. And then. Um, so when you're doing that and you're breaking it up for the seeds anyway, all that trim basically that's left, we'll call it trim, uh, all that product you could turn into, because that was further on, he had asked the question, can I make a concentrate? Absolutely. You can save that that product and you can get that ran into all of any of those concentrates. If you know people that do those things or know how to do it yourself, you can run bubble hash. You can, you know, you could press it through, uh, press it with a rosin. You can do all of those things. You can, uh, do RSO. That's what I would do with it. I would just throw it in with my trim and then run it into RSO. So you've got lots and lots of options with that stuff. You, so don't, when you say it was a trash in your question, no, it's definitely not trash and you can use it multiple times and really capture those heads to get something out of it. Anybody else have any thoughts on that before we move on? I know we have a few breeders on the panel with, uh, the American one, uh, Kyle and Brandon. Yeah, pretty much uh, it would be repeating what you guys said. Uh, you know, like as I'm, uh, I let it get really dry and I break it up over, I said this before, over the uh, dry sip screen, essentially. Uh, but I will like pull, I'll, I'll, I'll roll a joint like the old days, pot the seeds and roll a joint just to try it. And I've noticed when, you know, when they're actually growing with seeds in them, they look, they appear more frosty to me. So it could be uh, like an optical illusion because the seeds are swelling up the bracts or it could be true, but it's definitely not less frosty in my opinion. And yeah. Well, and they don't stop making resin. I can't right. tell you how many times I've right. read, don't pollinate plants. They stop making resin. It's, That's uh, definitely it's not, not true. At true. All. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. It might pr put more energy into making seed. So I think if you had to lab test product, 
if you wanted the highest THC possible, I think there's a reason people grow Sensimia. So I'm not trying to sit here and like pretend like Sensi is like a bad idea. I love Sensi. 90% of the crops I've grown are Sensi. I grow at least one pollinated crop per year. And I've found just in my experience, like the American one, I've posted some of the photos. I mean, it's some of my frostiest buds. Like they get the most response actually are the seeded crops that I grow. And it might just be that genetic velvet punch that I'm growing is super, I mean, it's a purple punch cross. It's purple and it has tons of resin, but on top of that, I do think that the being seeded has something to do with at least how it is presented to your eye visually. It, uh, they look great. Yeah, I think some of the misconception might be, well, when you're ripping it apart to get the seeds out, you're taking half the resin on your fingers or whatever else you're doing to rip it apart. And you know what else I might mention is I considered like um, using weed uh, that was seeded even to uh, do some coconut oil. But I was wondering if, you, if there's a minute amount of oil in the seed, if you have seeds in it and you're like trying to make a, well, that, that oil will probably go into the, the whole mix of things, wouldn't it? Dude, just they'll float. So you, you, oh, I guess so with some of the material. Like the hemp seed oil, like if you pressed it. Right, and the actual yeah, oil. exactly, hemp seed oil. I guess it would be a trivial amount and most of the seeds would be gone. I mean, like, yeah, if you're going to do that, from your own personal well, if you uh, do, growing. yeah, so you'd have to do your dry, do yeah. your sifts, do a screen, and then, uh, and then when you do that, right. you can separate the seeds at the same time. And yeah, you're probably going to get a few of them, but it'll be yeah, such a small amount. I wouldn't worry too much. Kyle, that's what I, I was thinking about. <clears throat> yeah, I know that you grow a lot of different uh, varieties because you have several different crosses, and I see that like right now you've just made some and you're doing some reversals and things like that. Um, what do you? What's your thoughts on the whole? pollinated bud versus unpollinated bud and do you run the same strain uh, like pollen do you pollinate every single crop to make seeds or do you run sensi uh to see what they look like side by side uh those are some good questions i mean i i'm kind of where you're at i mean i definitely think they focus a little more on seed production um so i think if you were to take you know two plants that you are growing completely the same environment and the same uh, type of nutrients and stuff that there would be different lab results between the two i don't think it's like a radical by any means but i definitely think there's some uh, there's probably some difference in there I, i've never personally sent a flower in with both but I, I would i would assume to believe that there is um but in regards to uh i mean i if i was more into the the, the cooking side of things i would definitely uh, be doing stuff like that i just uh it's just not uh what i do but, but i have somebody that i actually and people might think I'm foolish for doing it, but uh, I actually just donate all my trim, all of it to uh, this, this person that I know that's kind of local and they make medicine with it and, and they do whatever they do to help the community. So, um, Dude, I think that's admirable. I mean, some people might say it's foolish, but if you know it's going to a good cause, even if it's just like they're helping one person like that's or if you're just helping them, that's a, a good enough cause if you don't have the skills or want or not like desire to go through processing it. I mean, I guess you could ask for something back, but I think that's a, it's a, something to be said about just your kindness and offering it up like that. I have a question. I have a question for the panel that I was wondering. And I, I mean, I would assume no, but uh, maybe somebody has better input on this. So like, what if you had flour that had like uh, PM or powdery mildew on it or like, or even it's just to say it's on the leaves and you're, and you're trimming or whatever, even though you should probably be throwing it out anyways, but like, can you make something out of that or it is because there's mold on it like you know is there a way that once you're done making oils that it's like not involved or uh i've heard people able... say i'm going to attack this one first i've heard people say that it's the case and i don't have the physical chemistry knowledge to actually know for sure or like check any of that work but the thing that's always surprised the thing that's always bothered me 
is that um, especially when people have said that you can just wash off the powdery mildew hyphae or spores, um, like that doesn't matter um, for the same reason why you wouldn't want to eat moldy bread, right? These are different kinds of organisms, vastly different, but it's a similar sort of thing. There's potential for, at least there's potential for mycotoxins and powdery mildew. And it's really, it's not a really well characterized thing. Um, I'm sure that there are people who have uh, smoked it and have ostensibly been fine, but that's not really like, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should do it. You know what I'm trying to say? Matthew, you and I actually smoked it together once unintentionally. And then my wife got very sick and I looked at the buds and we're going to, I mean, I'll throw them under the bus. It was cookies brand. They're Georgia pie strain. And I didn't, because it came from the legal market, I was kind of fooled into believing that it was safe. It passed mold testing. So I didn't look at the bud before I ground it up. I just ground it up, packed the bowl or rolled the joint, whatever it was. Me and Matthew were smoking it just fine. Apparently like our, what maybe more resistant to whatever it was. And it wasn't like we smoked a bunch of it. It was like less than an eighth. So if you know, I think I remember us. Yeah. I think I remember you mentioning that to me. Yeah. Like I, I found out after you left because my wife mm-hmm. started vomiting and then I was like, what the fuck's going on? She's like, I've got a headache. And then I, I just, we hadn't changed anything. She hadn't eaten anything. And I was like, well, we just sampled this new bud. And I looked at the bud, broke out my scope. Sure enough, I there remember, were spots yeah. of PM. And I like even took photos and like told the person, I was even gifted this from somebody who got it from a legal place. But the fact of the matter was it had PM and the two of us were just fine. And she got very sick and was sick for days after. Had a like really bad headache for the next day or two after. So it was, uh, everybody reacts differently and it could have been even worse. So yeah, I, I suggest throwing it out. If you know that I, it is PM, I agree. I don't think it's worth, yeah. unless you, try this you too. Like, know somebody. somebody I, who I can, agree, but I think in Oklahoma there and I'm not, I'm not advocating for them, but I think there are actually um, like closed loop butane hash oil companies that are claiming to be able to remediate mycotoxins. Now, so they have happening. to, it's the problem is that they have to know what they're looking market. for. Wait, they have wait, to know what the chemist- it's absolutely happening in this market and people are passing testing from what I'm Isn't that unbelievable? So, so stay away from the dispensaries. That's my MO right there. <laughs> supposedly, supposedly aspergillus is one of the most common um well even heavy metals yeah they're they're allowing remediation you can just spin it the heavy metals sink to the bottom the thc floats to the top they suck the thc off and then there's your distillate you're fucking getting at the dispensary in michigan right well the thing the thing that's always sort of challenged me is that um you have to know what you're looking for when you're remediating i think to a degree you can make some i mean depends on the techniques that you're doing and that's sort of a thing these processes but like if you're relying on if you don't know what the chemicals are, if you don't know what the chemistries are, what the, what the mycotoxins are, because it's a not very well-documented phenomenon, uh, particularly in cannabis, uh, we don't know what it is that botrytis and powdery mildew produces in addition to its processes. Now, it could be that there's very little. You know, That's also a possibility. Um, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that since we don't know what those are or that they even exist in the first place, when people are remediating it's possible that they're missing it entirely when they're yeah, remediating the, for other things. Well, here's the thing. Cool. I know people for sure have smoked powdery mildew bud for years and years and years before there was ever testing, right? And cannabis typically hasn't been known to kill lots of people. So I would guess that the experiences are very unpleasant, like my wife's, to asymptomatic like Matthew and I, where we didn't even really notice. Um, and I'm not to like downplay 
the consuming of it, I, I would avoid it at all costs because who knows for that everyone's 1% different of yeah. the population who maybe has a they might die from it. There was aspergillus, for example, did kill an elderly woman in California. That was one of the things mm-hmm. that they were like arguing against the if you're immunocompromised, especially. Yeah. I have a question. So, if it, so I understand you have the PM or mold or whatever kind of pathogen on a sample of cannabis. When when it gets um, combusted, does that kill? And I would kill the. I don't know if it would kill the detrimental effects, but I think when you get sick from it, you're inhaling it like, and the the raw stuff is getting in your lungs. Is that not true? Or do you guys know? Like your fingers on the joint and stuff, like while you're packing bowls. But like it's kind of uh, the way that that I'll say it is, we don't know for sure that. uh, I think it's called pyrolyzing, like making it in fire. making it ignite doesn't necessarily like for for sure my wife and i were smoking it we weren't vaping it and so were matthew and i so she smoked it and it impacted her so it was able to get through the fire well here's the thing if you're smoking it if there's fire let me just draw you a picture if you're smoking a joint and this stuff is in it right and you're you're uh burning the end of the joint of course but you're inhaling and so of course oxygen and smoke yeah is like pushing through when you pull the, rest of the material yeah, yeah yeah so that's how so, that can happen i think right i'm sure but that's like kind of my thing maybe um none of that raw stuff got through when you guys were smoking but you know it could yeah, get through it's, it's who a, knows you know, how much smoke. of it who was knows? even right, contaminated right. sorry i mean it, uh to overlap like that hopefully the audience could hear that um i was gonna say you don't we don't know how much of it was there or like i was saying earlier uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are mycotoxins, but it's a thing that we don't really know very much about, unfortunately. Human beings are thankfully really, really resilient as well. We can all die, you know, as I was saying last week, or maybe in another show, life is fragile and we should all appreciate and love and respect it, especially with like Frenchie passing and many others in the past years. But um, we are also, if we're healthy and taking care of ourselves, have immune systems and uh, we can function and, and get over some things. But like the whole, I guess, uh, takeaway from the conversation is if you know that it's something is you know uh has a problem whether it's pm or something else i would personally recommend avoiding it there are possibilities out there where people can use like bho and potentially pass lab testing and that is what's being sold on shelves unfortunately uh but if they deem it safe and people aren't getting sick from it um they're going to continue to do it so even more the reason to grow your own (laughs) so definitely uh Shout out to, you know, growing your own. Speaking of, I got the American Ones Amy's Aces, or Amy Aces, I never remember. Uh, just flipped a flower, and they're raging. Uh, one has a thick ass. It's like the leathery, super thick uh, leaves. Almost, it has to have some sort of, like, Afghani lineage there. But it's a beautiful plant. The other one's a little bit more, I'd say, like a hybrid, more narrow-leaved than its uh, left side sister. Yeah. Uh, has any... I was just going to say, I think there may be a deep chunk in there somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure of that at all. But the, the, one, the one run I did, them, all of the leaves, except for two plants, was so fat, it was ridiculous. So that's what made me think. Like I was saying, I don't know the exact lineage of the, the bag seed. So, but it definitely had the fattest leaves I had seen in a while on that run. It makes it a little exciting, not knowing at least part of it. Um, but it's it's funny that you call it like proprietary RB, whatever it's labeled as. Uh, the one I haven't started doing my leaf removal yet, where I'm at 
in the flowering process and it's its leaves are so fat on the top i have to like come in and super crop it each day or else it'll just block out everything else below it <laughs> but if i'm diligent about it it uh it's been continuing to grow super well so I'm curious has anybody else flipped anything to flower recently they're looking forward to i have some gmo cherry pie Ooh, dude that the high on that plant it's like it's like psychedelic dude it's like makes me high like i was when i was 15 years old like i am not shitting you i smoked probably like a good like i packed a huge fat bowl dude and i ripped it and i swear dude three minutes later dude i was like i felt like i was 15 again i was so fucking high dude it was like man i was like doing the the freaking like where you where you're walking but you feel like you're on a treadmill and everything else is kind of going past you <laughs> tunnel vision kind of dude it, button weed like a comic book high dude i was fucking lit i was lit like i was a little kid again that shit gets me so fucking high dude the shit is amazing i love that stuff man that's like my new favorite Right now. now that's gonna have he's gonna have greenhouses full of that stuff hey Dude, brandon I'm, while you're I'm here i'm gonna try to convince my partners to do just a whole entire house of that i stuff. knew that that's what i do when i find something i love i'm like i'm gonna fill everything i have a question for you brandon i always am checking your ig and you did another post about the nitrogen amino acids that you um say are so important to helping out the plant do you continue yeah. with that all through flour do you feed them that nitrogen is it not like something that no. is no, no, so okay. I use it. I use it until, like, when I flip. I bef- when I flip, I take a sap a sap analysis, and I look at and I can look at the percentage of nitrogen. And uh, I'll do a sap and tissue test. I can look at the percentage in tissue, and then I can look at total um, nitrogen because they uh, what they'll do is they show nitrate and ammonium on sap, but always those things are almost non-existent in my plant but they show that the total nitrogen is always super high. So what's happened is all of those, all of those amino acids have been stored in the plant tissue as either amino acids or they've complexed into complex proteins. And so that's what we see because those things actually contain a molecule of nitrogen. Um, that's kind of what we're seeing is total nitrogen on the sap. So that's what I look. And I, once I reach a certain level, I'll be around five and a half percent, five to five and a half percent percentage during at the flip. Going into flower, right? Add any nitrogen through the whole entire cycle. Okay. And I have one more question. Brandon, I missed you the past couple of uh, sessions with the, um, I wanted to get your take. So we understand the purple stem thing or we don't understand it. We know that purple stems happen. Now, is there a differentiation between the purple stem on the actual stalk of the plant, the purple stem of a petiole, the purpleness in a leaf, and the purpleness of a bud? So obviously, you'll see the purple starting on the, on the petiole, okay? But that's an indication that the balance is, is going is changing so typically what happens is because potassium is absorbed so fast that it becomes deficient in soil and so what happens is magnesium because it's so water soluble it goes above the um threshold yeah well it's not over a threshold it's like you might you might have an adequate amount of both 
But what happens is as the potassium decreases, the magnesium becomes more available in, as it falls into solution. And so when that balance is, is affected, that's when I start seeing those, um, those symptoms. But and, and you so, correct it by adding potassium then, if that's the case. It, I look at the data, but the okay. thing is, that's, that's, that's the, the secret. That I see. But I also see it when the balance for the other nutrients are off. Like you could be uh, like nitrogen will can cause it if you get um, too low in nitrogen, but everything else is sufficient. It doesn't always just cause um, yellowing leaves. I, I, I do sometimes see streaking or if phosphate is unavailable, that'll happen. That can happen too. Typically though, it's going to be that, that, um, from what I've seen in my experience, it, it's the balance between calcium, magnesium, and potassium. Um, also sodium, obviously, because soil, uh, that's also a, a, a cation that's going to be antagonistic to those three, but the plant isn't util utilizing sodium. It's just something that's in the soil that you're going to find. Just present. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since carotenoid carotenoid production in plants is usually gene-based and a lot of times it's stress-based, how, I mean, it makes sense that it could be a nutritive thing, but at the same time, I mean, how, how, like, but how do we know that? How do we know okay. that? Like, uh, the reason why, and I've like, it's a proof, I guess is what I'm asking. I don't think there is, right? No. See, the thing is, the argument is that it's genetic, right? That these red stems are genetic. Oh, we see it in complete populations, this and that. But then when, like, I had a, you know, a I had a conversation with I, uh, a rising IG. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Anyway, he showed a whole population of um, land race varieties. And I was like, yeah, but dude, none of those land race varieties are in a properly balanced soil. They're in an agronomic soil at best, but really they're in a soil that's just probably like the soil that I have at my farm. It's fucking terrible. And yeah, you but, might be able to get something to grow in it, but it's not going to be healthy. I, I'm talking about the that instance when we're talking about healthy plants versus plants that aren't healthy. And maybe anthocyanin production is is genetic because, you know, it, but it's genetic across the whole. It has country. to be genetic. Well, because it, the, the plant Gene has base, the ability of, to, to create the chemical compound, right? But it's the whole entire species pretty much that's able Brandon. to so to say that that is genetic because uh, there's people like oh no i have red stems on my plants i was like dude there's something wrong with those plants i'm telling you every time that somebody has come to me and given me something or had something and i say look at let me see the test results i'll tell you what to do they switch it up and, and they then turn that green. dissipates man it's no. because it's a stress response right and it might be them creating anthocyanin as a stress response and people are going to argue that, oh, that's genetic. But what I'm saying is to maximize the genetic potential, in my opinion, I want to eliminate any type of stress factor. You know, Brandon, there are, there are, so there's this tomato cultivar that's getting a lot of um, headway recently. I think it's called like indigo or India or something like this. I've grown and them. It's, it's, they're, they're dark ass purple. Right. So that's not a stress response, Brandon. That is not a stress response. That's anthocyanin production. And I'm not saying that. Uh, and that's in the fruit. What he's talking about is in the petiole or in the yeah, stall. It doesn't matter. Everybody keeps what I'm saying is that it can be stress independent and there's no way to know the difference. Like, 
There's no proof but, of that is all I'm saying. Like purple no, there, there's, there's purple no anytime. proof, but, I'm, but what I'm going to so, you know, I always well, respond, I, the there hasn't been a single it. case that I have personally seen or diagnosed that has been, oh, this plant is an exceptional plant that has this, you know, genetic disposition to just create these high levels of anthocyanin. I have not seen that. Oh, yeah, I see that in buds and stuff. But when we're talking about the stems of plants, that's what I'm talking about. Because you'll see the high anthocyanin production. Look at the anvil or the blackstrap that um, full duplexes is running. You can see that. But when you're looking at the stem of the plant, it's nutritional when it's the stem. I'm Brandon. You. Let me ask you this now. Yeah, I'll even interrupt. So uh, the Irazin guy, he showed you populations that are all purple stem, yet those buds develop and look pretty damn big. Am I not mistaken? Is there a is there a correlation? Like what is healthy? Curious. Well, there's well, is the there thing. a correlation to yield? Maybe less. Maybe purple stems make a bigger. Well, I I doubt that, but you know you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you can't have. Uh, a healthy plant and a pretty uh, healthy harvest and quality if things are slightly out of balance. My death breath is a perfect example, right? The slightest uh, cation imbalance turns the stems purple. But if I keep everything how it should be and I follow the SOP that I built for that cultivar, it won't do that. You know, what and I mean? it's, better is, when it's, looking, it's better I'm when looking, it's not red. It's better when it's not red. How many other people are looking internally at the plant? How many people actually, are looking you know, at you? Listen, Brandon, I would, I would tend to corroborate what Brandon is saying. I have, I've, I've looked at these micronutrient deficiencies in my own plants, and I've seen purple stems come and go, and I've seen purple stems turn to yellow leaves. And I'm not saying that their hand, they always, they always correlate or causation, you know, that correlation is causation. But I, I got to say, I wouldn't be surprised to see some research come out to show that these purple stems sh are, are the beginning of an imbalance. <clears throat> I got to corroborate you there. You know, well, like a stress response to light, for example, that can be one that comes to my mind. Yeah, the, the yes. light response, anthocyanin is produced. There's also a cold response where anthocyanin can be produced. The, exactly. Typically, the a plant stress turning... response is, and I'm talking about, look, here's the thing. You can mitigate most of those stress responses with proper nutrition. That's what I've seen. When you're using high intense LED lights, you can increase your photosynthetic chemicals to help mitigate the, the, the plant not being able to produce enough of those enzymes to keep its metabolism going, keep everything functioning properly. Sometimes people don't hang the, the light at the right distance. So if they're, even if they had it optimized, like maybe the 1500 par is the most they'd want if they had it optimized, right? If they have high CO2, everything else is completely dialed. 1500 is like the max level. If they're giving it 2500, there's gonna be a light stress response, whether you give yeah. it the perfect nutrition or not. If I start to starve my plant of water, even if I have the perfect soil mix, it's usually for me, the drought stress. It's not getting there soon enough to give it water. I have a sip, I check down the thing and sometimes I push it a little bit because I like to let the plant go through a little bit of that dry time Which in is my soil, just at least a few times the, per cycle. Where the conversation always ends up 
a stress response. Someone says something, oh, well, high UV or this and that. Okay, these are stress responses. I'm talking about maximizing genetic potential of the plant by looking at the micronutrients, by looking at the the the, the cation balances and to see where the sufficiency or deficiencies lies, even if the plant doesn't show symptomatic expressions of these things. I know that my iron and that my copper in my plants are low and, I, and I'll look at that. They don't show a physical dis, uh, deficiency, but I'll know and I'll go and I'll do a foiler application of those chemicals because I can look internally. What it usually comes down to, if it's UV or drought, those are all stress responses. And what I'm, what I'm always talking about is maximizing the genetic potential and eliminating those types of factors out of the play. And when you do that, I'm not seeing the stems like that. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's a variety out there right? That is just like those tomatoes. I personally haven't encountered it. And when I, and I always announce in my videos, this is my experience. This is what I am seeing. And people, if they don't have that experience, that's fine. We live in a world where a lot of people are going to have a lot of different experiences based off of what they're doing, you know, and that's fine. But I'm saying from what I'm seeing from my experiences over and over and over again, this is what's happening. I just have a question though. Like, if you look at the University of Guelph study, they had a dialed-in system where they could get it as, as good as they could get it, and then they did a drought stress in week seven, and they ended up finding it yielded higher, not only cannabinoids and terpenes, but dry flower. So all of, it was one stress event, although it is considered a stress event, it's deliberately a stress event. They drought stressed it on purpose to see how it would respond. The response was it was better than when they had everything totally dialed in. So I think sometimes people want, let's say purple is more appealing. If purple sells for more in your area, you might want to go cold, late in flower to draw up more purple. Or you might want to give more UV. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm talking about. Is it a stress that produces more? Or is it not? It's not a stress that produces more and does better. You may think it's better to humans. I think. I think it's super important to consider that we're talking about a plant that's cultivated for, for a product, for a purpose, right? And so like when we're talking about plant health, you know, it's couched within that framework. It's not the so, same, you know, like, is, are you saying that to, it's anthocyanin like, production associated with plant dishealth? Is it not, not a healthy plant if it produces anthocyanin? That's the question. And I would imagine that upregulation or downregulation of those genes, like it is for lots of plants, is probably very variable and might be hasty to say otherwise. Yeah, but again, I'm talking specifically about the stems and the streaking. I'm not talking about anthocyanin production for flower, making purple flowers and stuff like that. And I obviously, you know, that there's going to be gene regulation. But what I'm talking about is that most of these cases, again, in my experience, I have not seen anything otherwise that has shown me, I mean, if someone can show me and they can give me the data and the science, then I'll concede, you know, but I don't, I haven't seen it for cannabis. I guess that we're trying to maybe come point that beneficial times of potential stresses, like there's a, uh, my yeah. internet connection is unstable, so I'm cut out. Well, it's like one of the things that we talked about in the past about how they dry stress lavender to increase the terpene um content and i'm not saying that there's different factors obviously different stress factors trigger certain responses in plants 
but I I don't take that approach. You know what I mean? I don't take the approach. I mean, of, if you think, I mean, if we're going to talk just plant health, how about just plant efficiency? If you are turning your green parts different colors, you are not able to photosynthesize as well. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so, well, do you want to prime the immune system or not? That's another question. Priming I mean, the immune system I mean, will. Can, I I think at the end of the day we can get can, as technical as we want, but. At the end of the day, the answer to this question is all going to boil down to somebody's opinion. And it's not scientifically ever going to be proven because at the end of the day, the scientifically proving most healthy bud, you may like that one. Doesn't mean I'm going to like it. And so at the end of the day, it's going to be grow your buds, try different ways and grow it the way that gives you the results that you like the best because that's what you're growing for. Right, but let me put this out there. If Brand, if you bring Brandon uh, a red plant and he does his voodoo and it turns green, that's kind of proof that it was a micro, it was a, a nutrient, something with the oh, nutrients. Oh, what Matthew is countering this right? is, is that, does that give you a better result is what Matthew is countering. And what is plant health well, in that's that That's what context? I was asking too, yeah. There we go back to that, so right, Matthew? This is, this is how I define it, right? Because the plant has to use and allocate a percentage of its energy but from photosynthesis to carry out all these different metabolic processes trying to conserve internal energy it's it, which is one of the reasons why i do the amino acids so that the plant doesn't have to convert nitrogen into amino acids the amino acids are immediately available for the to be converted into proteins if you have a stress response I believe that the plant is going to have to use some type of energy to mitigate that that response and therefore using up some of that energy that could potentially be used for you know bulk bulk density, biomass production, uh, cannabinoid production, terpene production. Well, terpene case, production terpene. is part of immune response. Well, that's yeah. like and always has really high terpene mm -hmm. tests. He keeps his plants really healthy and he gets really high scores on the want you want your plants to smell good you want them to taste good you want them to have high amounts of cannabinoids whether it's cbd or thc so that's thing that we can look at one objective thing that we can also look at is lab results purple plants genetically never test higher than green plants across the board chem dog uh, wedding cake all the ones that test 30 percent no ogs they're green get purple punch 20s i mean some ogs are like 18 percent but a lot of the stuff the most difficult thing to produce in the plant is secondary cannabinoids and terpenes it's like the highest order function so to produce to be fairly healthy so if somebody has a shit grow it's not going to be super terpy like if you stress it the entire time and it's just not having a good time it'll be maybe it'll produce some but it produce the same volume and quantity as it will if you keep it fairly healthy you have a few responses like the system, uh, resistance day with like chitin and things like that where you make your plant essentially think it's being attacked by bugs and it can trigger something within the plant that makes it stronger than it would have been otherwise and yes, technically yeah maybe it slows things down for a little bit but maybe it also gives a benefit later on so i don't think that there's a black and white answer quite yet but i think that we're all moving towards the um, best science that we have today and i would argue that <laughs> brandon there's I, research we agree with there's you you're research. doing things right for sure and you can turn there's most red plants green there's research um, on how to trigger plant uh, immune responses, and there's a lot of them. Not I haven't found one for cannabis, but I would imagine that you know 
some of the same techniques work? I mean, or, the detection or, of the fungi in your microbiome yeah, will elicit an immune response. So that right there is going to elicit immune priming signaling that will steal away those nutrients you're talking about. That relates to a question from the chat. I'm just going to jump in. Question from Mr. B a while back. Can Bortritis live in soil or cocoa? And they also say, like, can it infect my roots, then infect my buds? My understanding of Botrytis is that it is systemic. It does, it does have that capability. It can even reside in some plants without causing tons of symptoms. Um, even beneficial fungi, I have tons of Buberia bassiana research. Uh, that I love perusing. But can it live for very long in the soil itself? Like, could it come from an infected plant, be systemic somehow, make its yes. way to the roots and then travel through the roots to another root and infect that I would, plant? Well, typically, I would, argue, I would argue that it could probably survive on wet organic matter that's still fresh. Would you throw away your soil? Yeah. I'd probably remediate, no. you know, microremediation. No, I mean, I use, I use microbe plus, which has all those probiotic beneficial microbes and I use trichoderma and the bacillus subtilis combination as well. So. Yeah. Like, I think that we can all agree that, um, you know, microbiome dy dynamics, a lot of the beneficial microbes, you know, they have physiological processes similar to even the pathogens sometimes they're almost identical sometimes it's the same organism and right. you know they're they're uh just their mere presence on like the rhizoplane you know or even inside the plant will simulate immune response and and changes and even like changes in genetic regulation yeah um, i uh, matthew i also believe that if you have all good well quote good uh bacteria and fungi throughout all over the roots to everywhere then those pathogen the bad ones won't have it be able to take take hold either i believe that truthfully because i've seen it personally or at least i believe i did you know like it it, it if a botrytis lands on your leaf but there's a good uh whatever trichoderma living on that leaf then the botrytis won't be able to take hold if you for specifically yeah like if you had a uh, a trichoderma that was like you know, a fungal parasite and that botrytis lands on the, like a spore or something lands on the leaf. I mean, tons, tons of things could happen. You know, so the, the UV index could be really bad and fry that spore, for example. And, you know, the way that trichoderma works is it's, it's very, very, very good at uh, assimilating iron and it basically cuts off all iron reserves to other microorganisms. And well, like which trichoderma there's like hundreds well, in general, from what I've read, that's one of the main functions of the, the species itself is that it has the uh, the uh, the ability to sequester iron so um, so easily, and that's one of the ways that it's able to outcompete pathogens is because it doesn't allow them to use the nutrient resource. At least that's what I've read. You know, actually, that reminds me, um, I was just talking to somebody today about, uh, you know, rhizoctonia, really common root pathogen. Um, there are like isolates that exist that are not pathogenic, 
you know, so it's a fusarium, big root pathogen, even sometimes a foliar pathogen. Um, there's fusarium uh, octisporum and fusarium solani uh, isolates that exist in nature that are uh, actually beneficial to certain plants under certain conditions, you know, when they test these sorts of things out. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it, it, I think that also like plants are always constantly stressed from like a metabolic perspective. Um, they're always getting rid of metabolic waste. All life on earth is doing that. Uh, Aaron and I were talking about redox reactions and things like that recently, kind of in that stead. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a massively complex system. And, um, I'm not sure there's an organism on this earth that is like totally unstressed, really. I'm not sure what that means even. I get that. I think I, that makes sense. Like there's this, this internal inherent pressure to, uh, <coughs> to dispose of your waste. Me on two cookies. I'm not feeling it. I'm definitely, um, not stressed at all. Love it. That's actually a good counterpoint. <laughs> well, that's always the thing too, is when you focus on stresses, there's positive stresses too. I mean, you get probably fucking fucking lifting weight. So fucking positive stress for us, you know, as humans. You know what I mean? There's there's positive effects that we're trying to steer this plant by stressing them at certain times, you know, or, or time crop, certain crop nutrition holds more weight. Like yeah. deleafing could be an argument for a beneficial stress. For sure, topping. That's actually a really great example of that. Um, yeah. Sorry, my connection just messed up. I'm sorry if I interrupted. Yeah, actually, I was curious what you had said. Um, it did get a little garbled. I was like super cropping to add to Spartan's point. Whenever I've super cropped perfectly, the bud, although like that stem is has a knuckle, it seems to have a heavier bud than the rest of the buds around it, and it even seems to be frostier in many cases. So that to me seems like a very healthy stress that was beneficial. I think it's kind of like from certain breeding plant breeding perspectives, it's sort of like a, the difference between like eliciting for some people, anyways, physiological changes in the plant at particular you know, particular parts of the season so that you can maximize a particular pro end product, like with grapes or apple orchards or things like this or cannabis. And, um, uh, you know, to, to some degree, you might even want to breed for a plant that kind of does that automatically, whatever that, it, that thing is, like maybe it produces certain compounds um, that you want and you don't want to like let the, I guess, stress response uh, you know, be the eliciter, you know, it'd be kind of nice if you didn't have to like, for example, the chili, the chili example that Jack and I bring up a lot of times where you dry the soil out and it makes the peppers hotter in some cases, right? That's the end product. You want those peppers to be hotter. You are stressing out the plant to achieve that objective. Um, maybe some people would desire a chili pepper plant where it gets really, really hot regardless of that. And you don't have to stress out the plant to do it, you know, and, and I guess like, I don't know if we're there yet with our understanding of the cannabis genome and all that. But um, I think that I think that all we have to go on is the experiences of people like Brandon. So I don't want you to think that I'm uh, haranguing you or anything like that. No, we all get to have open conversations on this platform. And that's the beauty about what we do as educators, you know. So 
So I have a question for you, Brian. I've pulled up this photo that you guys are like, what the hell? We look sort of, uh, have a little bit of this. But you can see this book is green. It looks like I left my plant in my earth box a month after I harvested. And I know that there's purple nulfered bacteria in Micro Plus, but this was like the healthier of the two plants. The other one does not have this. This is the, the root. Oxidized iron. 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 That's also That's what it. happens typically when you plant bleeds red. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What is that when the plant bleeds red? Because I had one that was doing that a long ass time ago. I don't have it no more, but. High iron content that oxidizes. You know, that remind. I'm not saying this is the case, but that kind of reminds me <laughs> of like the deep violet color of like fu sometimes fusarium uh, infections like inside the stem, mostly usually. I'm not saying that that's what this is or anything like that, but um, that'd be really uh, interesting too. Well, I, I was just saying. Funny, that it was the fear of the two plants that harvest seed run. Uh, there were two vultures which would genetically turn purple in the bud and the leaf. Um, one as is like that turned into like weeks, but um, that's like the anthocyanin production and. Brandon's point and the point we were talking about earlier, I do think that there is something to what Spartan also said with just when it's purple, it has a harder time uh, photosynthesizing. It's like, that's part of the reason that it does that. It's like a sunscreen for the plant. It turns purple in sort of a reaction to get less light. So maybe it's doing that. Like, I know like Girl Scout cookies, for example, is a very like dark bud. It's almost black. And oftentimes people put that in like the corner of the room because it doesn't do as well and highlight like with a HPS, if it was directly under the HPS where that hotspot is, it wouldn't thrive like an OG or another plant that likes higher light. The cookies does way better in the corner. And I wonder if maybe it just wants less light or it turns purple as a reason to try and uh, take in less photosynthesis or something. Cause it's also not a very large yielding plant, but there are large yielding purple plants. So it's a curious one. Hey, I got it. I got to get going guys. I got some, uh, some work and some stuff to do. I got to prep cause I'm going to put in an offer on a house tomorrow. I'm going to try to start escrow. Good luck, man. Good luck. Hope you get that. Fingers crossed for you, dude. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. I'll talk get to you guys. Done, Brandon. Peace out. Have you going, bro? Thank you so much for joining us. You can find him at Bokashi earthworks on Instagram for his products. And he's got black label organics as well as, uh, Majestic Craft Cannabis, where you can find a lot of his stuff, and uh, rust.brandon on Instagram as well. So check him out. Some uh, really amazing grows. The American one I know is like his biggest fan, uh, follows every post, but I'm, I'm there too, liking and uh, following because he's doing a great thing. Uh, I definitely support Brandon as well, um, and I really appreciate his Bokashi. And I just want to say that we don't talk about his Bokashi so much uh, recently. So I just wanted to say that I grew some banging uh, passion fruit vines using his Bokashi. So whether you're using it for cannabis or other plants, you should check it out. So I got a question for you, Matthew, because um, oh, who was it? Special, special to, to the ed, I guess, is asking in chat, a couple of lizards have made their way into his five by five, his or hers, sorry, I'm not assuming anything here. I've seen with my own eyes, them eating caterpillars or moth eggs. It, what is the IPM advantages, disadvantages of lizards? Do you have any input there? Yeah, um, I think lizards are great. I was never big into the herps, but, um, and then people are going to use that sound bite now. Uh, but uh, yeah, lizards are not really, uh, I would say not really a huge problem. It depends on the lizard. 
I'm not sure which ones are this person seeing. I imagine if they're eating moth eggs, they might be kind of small. Um, I'm sure Jack has seen a bunch of the like alligator lizards around here in uh, southwestern North America. Um, they do eat bigger things though. So like your caterpillars, that kind of makes sense to me. Um, I suppose like there's always the risk of like, you know, exudate or uh, excreta <laughs> getting on your leaves, getting on Close your bud, that sort of would, a thing. Would they be That's always enough been... to break branches and things, you think? Um, I don't feel like there's a lot of, I might be totally wrong here. Uh, lizards and reptiles are not my forte. I don't think there's a lot of arboreal lizards, um, at least where I'm at. Um, maybe other places like geckos and things, right? Like those are the ones that I think of. So like in tropical areas. Um, I mean, yeah, Augusta wind can break a branch on Gorilla Glue, so I would guess a lizard could do it. <laughs> That's I true, but I will it. say, I've seen them in frogs also, and even like snails and other things. Oh, yeah. They know that they their weight, and they try to not break stuff, so they can uh, kind of maneuver around plants. And I have seen them eating, uh, shout out to Eagle Gardens, he has what he calls Mr. Toad. If you look at like his Bloom Plus second update in the background, you see his little toad hopping around, <laughs> and he... <laughs> swears it's part of his IPA, which i think is funny but uh yeah I, I would definitely be people complain about um using bugs for ipm because they're worried that the bugs are going to poo on there and like most of them have mm -hmm. like liquid frass that will evaporate but like a, a toad <laughs> shitting on your plant would be a whole nother uh, story there yeah i feel like lizards and birds are going to be you know way more problematic um yeah Ugh, it's funny i grew up thinking toads would like give you warts and things and i feel like that's not a thing i like looked it's into not it. a thing yeah uh, but viruses like, give you warts so where did this Maybe. is this like a fairy tale bullshit that a lot of us because frogs have warts right so i see we're simple yeah. things <laughs> hey Matthew, uh, i see another question in chat that i i want to hear your response to as well um cy smith is asking um, I need your help. Oh, now I just went up. Hold on. I've got infestation of Eurasian hemp yes. Notice flagging last week and now see knuckles with brown hole scab on the stems. So I've actually had a few people uh, kind of very recently, all kind of at once from different places in North America. Uh, actually, one of them was in Mexico. Um, I've had them. them before. I thought it was a yellow squash borer, but uh, is it hard to determine which ones are which? And well, the the the, the hemp borers are going to be inside the the stems, and I think that's the knuckle that they're talking about. They'll hollow out um, the pith inside. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And they'll pupate in it, and then they uh, eclose as a as a moth. It's kind of a small moth, um, really. And uh, you know, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't have a lot of good. Um, answers for this uh, pest because of the very fact that like the budworm moth, uh, Helicoverpazia, um, so your cornier moth, um, those caterpillars will maybe feed on some foliage first, maybe, or maybe they'll go straight for your bud and they'll bore into it, you know, and as we were talking about recently, sort of like excreting all the way through, um, which will lead to like fungal rot and botrytis and other sorts of nasty pathogens and and, and gross stuff. With hemp, with the, with the Eurasian hemp borer, the problem is that what people would normally use to control it is some sort of systemic insecticide, like, you know, traditionally in like some other horticultural space or agricultural space or forestry space. But we can't do that here, of course. 
um, nor should we. Um, so really the, the trick is to get it between either, either you deny the moth the ability to lay eggs in the first place, which doesn't help anyone who's already having the problem, perhaps, um, or somehow apply something that is going to get the caterpillar before, between uh, eclosing from the egg and getting into the bud, because at that time, or the stem, um, you know, <coughs> where are you going to, what are you going to apply? Maybe Bouveria bassiana as an endophyte might be useful, but there's no research that I know that's investigating that currently. Um, is there is there any way to uh, extract it from inside the stem? Because I actually have an example of a stem that I kept that has a uh, the hole in it still. I'll, see, I'll show you guys. At that point, crawled through your bud. It's that track. It, it's rotted out that bud, and I don't know. I, I think it's at that point you're kind of SOL. So you can see there's the one, the two uh, branches coming off there, right? I don't know if you guys can see that, right? And then the next so set, there's the branch, the branch, and the hole where something went into it, the stem. Yeah, I see that. There's that's the branch, a, I bet there's that's the, the hole, knuckle. And there's, yeah, that's the knuckle that one if Cy see Smith in the can hole. confirm for us if it's similar to what you're looking at. Uh, just for other people's reference, I think this is really crucial to share. Um, Cy Smith mentions that they're in Oklahoma, um, which I think a lot of people have been growing uh, cannabis most recently, right? And uh, moving there to grow. So be careful of the like pests that uh, might be already present in that sort of a thing. And if you're going to grow outside, I mean, even though that might have happened this year and ruined a plant or this crop or whatever, um, it might not be too far gone. But the one thing I was going to suggest, Shotgun Grown 707, who deals with using something called the Dynatrap. I'm not by them or affiliated with them, but he said he had trouble with moths, basically flies, and then you get the colors, other issues like, I don't know if the same effectiveness versus this type of, uh, of stem boring. Same. Uh, Sorry, you're, you're, you're breaking you up. You broke a up bit. a little. Hey, hey, Jack, let me share a screen. I have another picture of that of, of uh, what I believe is borer damage. I think you're good. Not yet. I made you the host. But I don't know if it came through, but I was a Dyna trap from uh, Sun Grown 707. I'm not sponsored by that, but it works for flying moths and this. And I'm curious if it would work for. Um, and more pests as well, because they're also a flyer, or that's where it starts. Uh, I don't see anything. Yeah, I was you, I, yeah, this um, this is not the best picture I see now, but that's uh, another sample I took from outside that had start sharing like, screen, but we don't see anything. Oh. That's odd. Hold on. I don't, you guys, I'm just seeing a thing that is a tearing screen, but I don't see the edges. Let me try it again. You're the host. You got the power. Can you see me now? No. We can see your profile. Yeah, now we can. Not yet. It's living though. I think it that says, we're going to be able to see it. It says that you started screening. I don't know if it's. Uh, oh, all right. Let me. Uh, have you pulled I it up? Need to update. 
No, yeah, I need to update Zoom. That's what it is. I just got a message from Zoom. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave Sai hanging. Um, but I, I do have to say that I, I like to to give you closure. I don't feel like there's a lot of great options, and depending on what time in the season you're at, I think that um, you know you have more or less options available to you. I'm uncomfortable applying really anything in flower generally. I know that that is sometimes just not a viable possibility. And so there are more or less um, viable options for people. Uh, but generally I'm just wary of like inert ingredients getting in kind of like we were talking about earlier about powdery mildew and not really knowing the extent of like mycotoxins or whatever um, or spores or whatever. So um, if you're early, like it, so it sounds like you were saying that you were going to split some of the top um, the tops off to like uh, maybe manage it a little bit because they're smaller. I think that would be possibly useful. Some other people in the chat were mentioning like, could you like poke holes or find where it is and like disrupt them? That might be possible. Um, some people were talking about beet, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis injections. I'm not sure how viable that is, um, but I like where people are thinking about that. Maybe Bouveria Bacillus injection. I've seen that in some research. Um, but this is one of those things where I think a mesh screen would be uh, superior, of course, that's for prevention, not uh, reaction. So I feel a little bit bad with that answer, but I just feel like there aren't a lot of good examples uh, at this point. What do you think about the, the Dynatrap concept? It's, it's targeted at mosquitoes when I Googled it. It just looks like a lantern that basically has like a electric thing in it or something. But um, that's the only thing that I've heard suggested for flying things like a I don't know, butterflies, moths, et cetera, that might come and lay eggs on your plants. So, so traps, traps, um, they're a double-edged sword. On the one hand, if you're already getting tons of these moths or whatever, then maybe you should just use it regardless because obviously um, obscure, security through obscurity is not working for you. On the, on the other hand though, you do risk attracting more of these organisms, especially at nighttime. And anyone who's ever put up a white screen um, or live in the desert <laughs> and turn on the lights knows that uh, a lot of insects are very attracted to lights and will navigate towards them, um, which is the point of the trap, of course. Um, you also, if you're trying to be ecologically conscientious, you know, this is kind of like a broad spectrum treatment. It's not a chemical treatment, but you are attracting a ton of things and you might be attracting a lot more non-target organisms and target organisms. And uh, if you care about that kind of thing, then you might not like the idea of utilizing it. That's just something to consider. Yes, the uh, vegans would get mad about killing the bugs, but I think most other people are gonna be like, uh, whatever, I'll, I'll let them all die. But I know you're a bug guy and you love the bug. So we got a bug lives okay, matter. 90% 90, 90 of animals are insects. If they go, we have some trouble. We few. Although I suppose, I suppose that they have, survived a ton of extinction events. So maybe we'll just get like, the really successful ones will take over the, the brunt of the work, who knows? I think I could kill ants every single summer in California as much as I can, and they'll never go away. They're just gonna keep coming back every fucking year. Definitely something's over, over others, right? For sure. Um, and at, at that point, for the moths and things, I just wanted to say, if somebody does wanna use them, uh, thrift, what's called so-called thrift screen, I've mentioned it many times before, is my sort of go-to because it's very small micron size. 
and it limits um, even like thrips, which are super, super small and get into everything. Um, and mods are going to have, you know, they're not going to be able to pass through that. And, I combo uh, that with shade cloth. Um, you can yeah, do like a layer of thrip screen and then shade cloth if you need it like for like a window uh, blocking. Like I have it right behind me. So it provides a little bit cooler, uh, you know, air basically coming through in the summertime, but it also prevents uh, pests coming in through an open window with a fan. So it's definitely something that you can implement both indoor and outdoor or greenhouse. I think for greenhouses, if you have the ability to afford it, it's something that should be implemented if you're going to be rolling up the sides or things like that, because a lot of pests are going to make their way in. Twitter about 13 asks if I can talk about human photosynthesis and I'll just say that I have a video <laughs> coming out about it and um, it'll be a really great discussion. Um, hey, Matthew, sorry to interrupt. Why are bugs attracted to light? So uh, it depends. It is a different, different, a little bit of a different answer, but usually for like nocturnal insects, they use the moon for navigation. Um, and so, but really another light source at night functions as a separate moon. So because it's a more, because it's a more intense light coming from your light versus like the moon that's so far away, even mm -hmm. though it's getting hit by the sun. Um, I forget the exact term for what this process is. I'm sure people well, in the chat will be they're happy. They're not to trying know. to fly to the moon. No, they're navigating, they're using it to navigate. So they're doing okay. that. They're doing like a calculate. There's like a calculation that happens in their head, essentially. Like we use the North um, Star. Exactly, you know? like a sextant. Like a sextant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. the other thing that's funny is about the moon and navigation. This is like uncannabis related, but I saw it on Twitter the other day, and I feel like it's worth sharing. The moon was really yellow. It was like a harvest moon, I think some call it. And Tesla recently switched their autopilot to all cameras, and they thought that there was a yellow blinking traffic light. It was showing up on the screen as if there was. The moon's far as, as fuck away, but that camera was able to pick it up and it thought that it was a blinking traffic signal because the yellowness of the light but it was definitely an interesting phenomena. And when he said moon and navigation, I was like, oh, this is uh, reminiscent of that uh, other story. And some insects can see some wavelengths and some can see others. Some, are, some can see colors better than we can, and can especially UV, um, but also other colors, other distinctions. And then, but a lot of them, a lot of insects uh, do not and lots of uh, pests arthropods and mice have like basically no no eyes at all are totally blind or they can only see like presence absence of light so you get a whole wide range of of that um, in the insect world I, I find insect vision super fascinating all right thank you for my disruption and if you want to continue with your human photosynthesis uh explanation or video before human video, photosynthesis there's human night vision. If you smoke a lot of keef, there was a study in Africa that looked at fishermen who smoked a bunch of keef before they went fishing versus like when they didn't. And it, they reported increased night vision. So like high THC keef or cannabis has been uh, anecdotally reported to increase your night vision ability. That makes sense so. scientifically too. You, your, dilates are gonna, your pupils will dilate. You're going to see better in the darkness. I think that we produce something called like rhabdopsin or rapidopsin or something like that for like our night vision and maybe there's some maybe it like produces more or there's like some sort maybe there's a process that shuts that down and maybe that gets blocked when we anecdotally i would like always kind of keep like my lights off and like my apartment and things like in the later parts of the night because it helps me like go to sleep i have a hard time sleeping so i keep everything really dark but i'd be like running up and down stairs and like i could see with like the ambient light from like a window across 
the room or whatever, like my roommate at the time who was a non-cannabis user, he'd be stumbling and tripping all over himself. So I wonder if it was one of those things, like maybe it's all the cannabis that I was using or maybe he's just fucking klutz, but you never know. He was definitely I wear my uh, sunglasses at night. Are you just that cool? I'm just that high. I'm that high. Or inside. I love the celebrities that get really, really stoned and they come on an interview and they just, no, I'm not taking off the shades. (laughs) It's like I'm gonna wear the shades the whole interview. Like fuck it. It's so it's so it's so ironically more conspicuous, right? <laughs> yeah, it it totally is. Unless your eyes are really like super bloodshot and like a squinted shut. But uh, other than that, and sometimes they are. So I guess uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I kind of oh, like just showing had, off. I, well, I, totally kind of. <laughs> oh, I just got LASIK surgery. Sorry. Are we on in five? Okay. <laughs> This hard case, this is a case I bought at the dollar store for a dollar for pencils. All of this weed was gifted to me today from people that came up to the booth. So thank you, everybody. I'm smoking on everybody's weed today. Not even smoking my own weed today. That's a fun feeling. I saw that you were, uh, you had some RSO there. I think that was from your That was my RSO. Yeah, that's, I don't go anywhere without, I always got that with me, especially if I'm going to stay overnight. If I want to sleep, I got to have that. I love that stuff. That and uh, Temple Ball are my two favorite uh, cannabis concentrates, personally. Yeah, and what I did there, too, this, <laughs> so I only, this was the first time we've ever been to an event as the Mission Bros Grow Show and got in a booth, like an official booth and everything. In fact, we had several booths and we had a huge campsite. We had, we had 20, I think it was 20, last count was like 29 people there that were camping with us. So that was pretty awesome. And, um, the bros, um, like, you know, with our Patreon donations, everything we paid for everything. So they got to camp for free. So everybody got to show up and it was just a huge trade fest and hanging by the campfire. Um, it was an amazing time. It was super fucking awesome. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to talk about it for weeks. Probably. I just, I'm still, I mean, I just literally got home, (laughs) watered the plants and ran up here. So it's still like fresh. Open up that box. What are you tearing yeah, into first? What's the freaking sample? This one I just grabbed was, uh, was from Indica B and it's uh, Cherry Garcia. And so I'm going to try that one. Man, I got... Hold on, let's get I think that's an ethos, maybe. I got Skunk Hero. I, I mean, this, this is going to take an hour. Does it smell skunky? No, smell it. I, I want to take a... Usually, usually skunk is... Uh, I don't know, the skunk I usually get here is kind of citrusy. Sweeter. Burnt rubber. So that's skunk one. Skunk oh, one yeah. is the sweet. That's sweet, sweet yeah, this skunk. One's, uh, yeah, this one's kind of more, not rubbery, but it does smell like a burnt, like a... Burnt tire, maybe? That's what yeah, some yeah, skunk is yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of burnt tire in, the, in what people yeah. call skunk. Yeah. I got some new tennis shoe rubber smell off of uh, the American ones, uh, Amy Aces right now, in early flower. Oh, nice. Dude, I can't wait till you harvest that and, yeah. I can't wait. Got one called Granddaddy Garlic. So that one looks pretty good. This one looks like really tight notes, super dense. I think I'm not I feel sure. Like it's GDP was. cross the GMO or something, you know, Granddaddy Perp, something. Yeah, garlic. I get all GDP out of this one. So this is the GDP wiener, at least to my first inspection. Key Lime Kush. This one interests me. Key Lime Kush. I was like, ooh, that sounds very interesting. So I'm expecting, you know, spicy Kush with some lime, but. I really like blue lime pie. Um, it's a fire one. So key lime kush sounds pretty good. 
key lime pie is one that wasn't that a um green jeans or no the yeah, one i'm thinking of is um, reserve is what he had i think it's sin city seeds i'm pretty sure is the blue lime pie i could be wrong though got tropicali og from this was from painted lady she grows a big old nugs should take them out of fucking bags so you can see them smell big hawk big honking one yeah shout out to painted lady good job she grows spears man she even yeah. that solo cup her jack the ripper yeah. looked badass so when i when i yeah. went and looked at her grow it reminded me of um the old um not old but it reminded me of weed nerds you know when he the way he grew the way i uh, subco grew she had big you know big pots with the uh, steaks and, and big plants i love growing big plants you kind of have to in michigan man you get plant count that's what you ever do is grow big plants she hooked me up with a double one double dose. I, believe, I don't know who did. She's got another pretty pretty good size nugs. That was well trimmed too. That's a good yeah. look. Uh, shout out to I don't know if she trimmed that one or not, but Madame Euphoria is uh who uh Pain and Lady has been using to do her trimming. That's another gross key, so that's pretty awesome. I already said skunk hero. Looks like I got two skunk heroes. Uh punch berry cookies. This is we're handing out cuts out there. And uh, what's the punchberry cookie smell like? Punchberry? Punchberry smell like punchberry. Berry, more cookie, more cookie heavy kind of. This one is kind of the uh, not as tightly trimmed. <laughs> and then I've got a bunch of random weed just stuffed in here that I don't even know what it is. It's not marked or in bags. I don't even care how it's trimmed if it's homegrown. If somebody gave it to either. me, I'm just like, I'm so excited to try it. Always. I'm like, give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah. Great diamonds is in here. I got somebody's got the ethos fancy. I got maybe they're a member. Freedom Queen, which is pretty much an Obama Kush from I haven't cracked into this yet. It's uh this came from that tour of Freedom Green Farms up in Kalkaska. That looks like a good note. Dan took us through. That I just did before I left. I left straight there and came home. And then, you know, here I am on here. I've got more bags sitting around here somewhere because somebody gave me like a whole black bag full of stuff. His name is Martin. I can't remember his last name, but he didn't have uh, social media because he was in a um, red state. But Martin, if you're watching, thank you, bro. I don't know what I did with your weed, but it's around here somewhere, probably in my bag. <laughs> oh, it's right here. So, this yeah, is the Martin. best problem ever. Can't find the weed because you have so much of it. So this one is called Planet of the Grape. So I'm excited for that one because that's something I haven't even heard of. That's another ethos one, I think. Planet oh, of the Grape. Yeah, I've heard of it. And it does smell grapey. This one smells pretty grapey. See, which, that's the best. Yeah. When it has the name and it's got the smell, it's just like so satisfying. And then when it comes through <laughs> on the flavor, that's like the creme. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm like, it's like at like Christmas for Spartan, man. I'm getting all these. It's all flower too. You know what I'm saying? Christmas in July. See, this is this is what's up, man. You you put your name on it so my stoner ass will remember your name. Thank you, Martin M. And Glue Sniffer. And even for the Breeder 2020 Mendocino, uh, you know. That's fucking, is it gluey? That's legit right there. It's Adam, very, it's very frosting, but it doesn't look like the glue GG4 to me. This as far as like the little crown buds you get on a GG4. So I don't know what their cross is. I'm sure it's GG4, but some, with something else. I think it's the whip. Damn, it's super sticky. It's like I can't even get the buds out of here. It's glue. Yeah. But I mean, it's, this camera's going to piss me off, I know. But it's super frosty. I wish I could get it to show the fuck up. Maybe about there. I wish I could zoom into that quality though. It looks dense. Yeah, it's like super dense. I think they might have crossed it to the whip, which is like his Afghani back cross, but I could be wrong. 
I'm going to Google that. It's supposed to be a really good outdoor too. So I'm excited to get into that one someday. Oh, it smells really good though. It smells like, yeah, it smells like gassy, like gassy and earthy, like a gassy glue. It says GG4. It's bigger, louder, and more frosty. It's more gassy and much more hearty. Uh, so we're about to click on to Seed Finder 2020 Mendocino. I thought I would be able to find it in the uh, teaser, but I couldn't. So it's GG4 across to the whip. Damn, look at me remembering there shit. Oh, fucking impressive, Jack. You must like write books about this or something. It's almost like I care about genetics or something. It's almost like you give a shit, man. Adam's a cool ass dude too. And uh, listening back to some of those breeder collectives um, on Stitcher, if dude, anybody wants to. Adam, I fucking love that dude. He's fucking badass. Him and, and Kyle, him. man, both dropped some great knowledge there. And I, I honestly am like, I envy what he does and what Brandon does because like that's what I'm attempting to do in the next year or so is have a nice light up greenhouse operation. Like that to me is like the pinnacle of like what I want to do as a cannabis cultivator. And he's doing it and has been doing it and is killing it. He's got science yeah. LEDs in his fucking greenhouse. It's uh, bottom fed with a drip mat. They did a side by side comparison. Their top watering versus their bottom watering. Got like a 20% higher yield and better cannabinoid percent by bottom feeding with the drip mat. And he's just a cool ass dude. Super open, sharing uh, 20 minutes with 2020. If you guys haven't checked it out, he's got his own podcast. Uh, him and Carlos host and. They just do a killer job putting good information out there. Uh, great genetics. He has auto flowers now. He's got feminized. He's got photo period. So check out 2020. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people in Mendocino doing it right. He's one of them. And he's really, in my opinion, uh, leading the way and doing things right. I agree. That guy is so awesome. It's just, you know, I've worked with him, you know, with the, you know, started out with the whole pheno hunt contest and stayed in contact. He's just a super awesome guy. And like you said, super open willing to talk to you and uh i don't know man he's just a really really cool down-to-earth guy i really like him we've had him on the show a couple times too so that's been cool also, well, the thing that up. he shared about the whip uh fun no, story for those who don't I know already smoked it. his whip male that he used he tested like five or six males with um his device the gamma cert and he found that the one male they were all like 0 0.1 0 0.4 0 0.5 thc and then one of the males was like five percent thc and he's like we're fucking breeding with that one so uh he said it, it turned out all those crosses were super potent. So hopefully you're looking forward to something uh, good on that end. I've got, it's, speaking of new things in the garden, I've got uh, one called Sparkle Face that's not even released yet, but it's uh, Snow King times the spice, which is a biscotti cross. And then, uh, so I've got two phenols, one outside, one inside going of that. And then I've got, um, tonight, I'm going to drop Brandon Rust's um, Mac and, uh, Limerilla mashup, and then I'm going to drop the version two, Snow Cane version two, which is my cut of Snow Cane times the Cali cut, the 2020 cut of Snow Cane. So it's like the mashup, the Cali Michigan mashup. So I got to fucking pop some of those too. I'm excited for that and what you find from it because you originally hunted the Fina. So you have like an even more of an insight on what it grows like, how it grew in your garden, what flavors were present, and how it compares to the original cut. So I'm excited to see that and also uh, for other people to get their hands on it because they've heard stories about it since when you were entering the competition before you even won the light and all this like it's become a sort of documented history on our little channels that we've all sort of talked about it. And you're like, Oh, I'm entering this competition. It's like, I won this competition. It's like, Oh, you're using my cut. And it's like, now it's here. So 
it's all came to fruition and I couldn't be happier to see it happen. And with that said, I think it's about that time where uh, Spartan usually gets running to let his dogs out, refill his tray, get some more water and uh, get himself ready for the Michigan Bros Grow Show, which is coming on in about 17 minutes. So Spartan, that's reverse fem seeds then, obviously, yeah? They used my, they used the Spartan cut as the female in that. So, okay. Cool. That's even fem. cooler that they, they used fem. your, fe- they used yours as the female. I, I think that's cool. Yeah. The way they described uh, his, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I think it's fine. Um, like his, 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 um, I don't even want to, I'm so high. My general philosophy. Yes, on, on this specific one was he liked the structure in the high frost level of uh, of the snow cane that I selected and then the snow in the high potency and then the snow cane that he selected or whoever selected from the one he got from Cali was really high terps, but it was like the potency was like lacking. So he, he went with the, the highest terp and then he went to the highest potency and then he smashed them together. And so... He said, basically, what I have to expect, what I am looking to, what he expects for me to find is um, versions of my snow cane, but with um, like increased terpenes. And I'm like, sign me up. I'm ready for that. (laughs) Because the one that I picked too, it wasn't high in terps, but it was the one that was the the oddball terp. So it was like, all of them had kind of gas. But the one that I picked had gas, but it had just like a slight hint of a strawberry coming through, which I didn't get on any of the other ones. It was way different. And um, so I'm, I'm expecting maybe strawberry or something like that to come in really strong. That'd be awesome. But yeah, I got I got to get going, get these dogs outside. Um, thanks, everybody. It was fucking awesome to uh, get back in the groove of things and see everybody again. I only missed one week, but it felt like I missed a lot. So it was awesome chat um and hey i'm gonna hang out for another couple hours so i'll see you all on the michigan bros grow show and love you all um i'm spartan grown you can find me on instagram spartan grown i'll do this you don't have to do jack this time <laughs> or you shoot me an email spartan grown at gmail love you guys you have a good one exactly. I like thanks so much for coming hi dude it's excellent i love when you go to like an event or if you have like some friends or family over or if you've just been having a long session where you're super well medicated and you've just got that like great buzz going like a permagran almost and uh i think that's a place that we all aspire to get to most days so yeah big ups to spartan grown he's killing it over there in michigan uh mitten canico is doing big things he just toured another facility and got a sample that he showed off there and i'm just really happy to see the michigan community reminds me of like how the California community was maybe a decade ago and um, I think that they're putting out just as good if not better uh, stuff at this point and it's really impressive to see a Midwestern state because I know another Midwestern state where I'm from Ohio is still kind of just lagging behind the eighths there are 2.8 grams and they're charging like 50 60 plus before tax and um, the quality is just not there and they can't home grow so just a few states away and the reality of the situation for those people is so different. That's why you have people like, I think Tara Wilson uh, was a former Cincinnati Ohioan and now she's a Michigander. So shout out to her and all the other people in Michigan who are getting to enjoy some of those uh, good cannabis laws and make sure you uh, look out for your rights and stand up for them because there is groups like the MCMA, the Michigan uh, Cannabis Manufacturers Association, who has spent $10 million to lobby against caregiver rights as well as home grower rights. So uh, 
be knowledgeable and aware of what brands those are. People in Michigan have all reposted bunches of times over and over. I think voting with your dollar and not supporting those brands is uh, something that would be good for you to do if you hope to continue to keep your rights. So that's my one little spiel I'll say about Michigan. Uh, awesome state. I can't wait to visit. Uh, I look forward to meeting all the cool people that are there. We've got some of them in the chat right now with us. I saw Smiley's Garden earlier. I know that there's a whole bunch of other uh, people from Michigan. So cheers to all the people from Michigan and uh, all of the other listeners, wherever you are. And uh, yeah, that was a big up to Spartan Grown, but we've got about 13 minutes left. And I'm curious if uh, anybody else on the panel has a topic that they want to jump into before we close this thing up. Not I, not really. Um, you know, <clears throat> I got a question uh, this just yesterday, or actually it was today. I just pulled it up um, from a listener of the show named Tom Jancy. Um, he said, that he's uh, growing in a greenhouse that's only five feet tall and he's got a plant that's about four feet, 10 inches. Um, so it's like just under that. And we, you know, still have a couple of weeks where we're at and he's in my area um, to uh, before flowering starts naturally. So I read, he was kind of wondering, should he top? And then does he have enough time for the plants to rebound? And my answer was just that you probably want to give the plants enough time to rebound. And that can be anywhere from, you know, it can be about three weeks. It can be two weeks. It just depends on the variety and the conditions. But what you want to do is keep that plant in veg um, after you top it. So add some supplemental lighting and um, keep it in veg until you see that growth rate pick back up and then let it flip or peel the tarp off and let it go natural but um i don't know what do you guys think about that what's the best plan well the weather uh will it be all right if he does that either one because if he yeah, it's, it's uh, keeps northern. it in veg for an extra let's say two two weeks that'll add two weeks to the when he would harvest right yeah so you're going to be pushing into the rainy season for sure okay so that's one factor and could he not just maybe raise the roof maybe well, that was, that was the thing, you know, if he, if he peels the roof back, he can just harvest Rebuild before the, the rain. Top. Right. Oh, okay. Um, but if he leaves the roof on and cuts it down and then lets it grow back a little bit and pushes his flower season back, he may be running into the rainy season, but at least he'll have the greenhouse over him. Right. So that would be all right. Even if it hits the yeah. rainy season and who knows, it might not rain in the rainy season. It's always a crapshoot, right? Or is it yeah. definite? Yeah, okay. nah, it's Northern California. Sometimes we get totally dry seasons and sometimes it pours. So it's just, what do you, what do you guys think though, Tal? I know, you know, I would think now that with all that information, I think I would shoot for the uh, topping and let them recoup and maybe even let them recoup another week. Like we really know that they're on their way. Cause that, yep. that will be double effect. It'll, if they recoup a little bit more, they'll be more heavy, better, bigger buds at the top. And uh, yeah, that's what I would try to attempt, I believe, personally. Yeah, I, that was my first. That was my first go-to too. Is is cut it back and push your push your flower season back a little bit and keep that keep that greenhouse on there. What do you think, Jack? What would you do? Yeah, because frost is not a danger, right? None of that. Where you guys right? Are, no, where he's, no. Yeah, definitely do that. Then. I'll be perfectly honest. I uh, had some messages and I had to check and see if they were urgent based on who they were from. They weren't, but I missed the question. So if you could re-ask the question and maybe I could uh, jump in. 
That's so just, awesome. What an honest guy. <laughs> Basically just uh, it with the flowering season a couple of weeks away before it starts, this guy's got a plant that's hitting the, the tarp in his greenhouse and he's wondering if he should top it back and um, add some supplemental lighting or just peel back his tarp. He's in Northern California. It's an interesting question. I would, um, it would help to see the plant for sure, but I'm personally a super cropper. So I would try and bend it over and spread it out. If there was uh, like vertical room or, or horizontal room, better speaking. So I try and even working from like the middle of the plant, like a Eagle, I reference him a lot, but he calls it like himself the plant pimp and he'll like smack him around a little bit, but he'll take it basically like from the middle and like super crop it and just like lay it over on its side. And then from that point, you can start working the middle and top branches and arranging them so that they can get more light, better airflow and things like that. And it can slow down some of that vertical growth. And even maybe if you like break it instead of like just super cropping it and like potentially stunt it, but the rest of the plant will be able to flower. It will just prevent it from stretching. So you basically mm. like put it on its side and almost damage it. But because it's over vegged, essentially, um, it, it will, will grow through your roof if you're not doing something. So you can either top it back, which personally, uh, I don't love cutting the plant open. And potentially, you know, there is uh, vectors for pathogens that can come through if you're cutting the plant up for topping it and doing it this late. I'd rather manipulate what you have there's a good root base there i think it's going to support whatever you have and if at some point you do have to throw the tarp off and just kind of treat it like outdoor or even maybe um build an impromptu hoop over your hoop pull the pvc pipe is what i'm assuming they're using out get longer pvc pipe that might be a little bit too expensive or do some sort of extension um so like rebar if you're using rebar you could raise it a little bit out of the ground move it further apart do just kind of things to extend the height just a few feet or whatever you have to do, uh, get, get clever, like a five gallon bucket, for example, or not five gallon bucket, a five gallon jug, you know, they have that, the head, uh, you could basically fit there and that just gives you a little bit of a lift. So you could fill it up with sand or whatever you need to do to give yourself extra few feet. Genius. I didn't even think about super cropping. Yeah. Totally. I was just going to say, man, lift it from the bottom. That's brilliant. The fuck is wrong with us, Tao? I don't know, man. That's why Jack's the host. That's it. Lead us out, Jack. It's that time. So I'll pass it first over to my buddy, Kyle Breeder. He's got a massive drop that just came out and I'd love to hear a little bit about it. And then uh, let us hear where we can find your stuff. Uh, yeah, sorry guys. Um, yeah, sorry, I was, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely swamped over here to be completely honest with you. <laughs> uh, I have a bunch of orders I'm trying to take care of in, in a timely manner because I believe in customer service is a uh, key, but, uh, yeah, I mean, things went really well, man. I had some some gear that I was sitting on that I was kind of just uh, didn't really plan on releasing, but uh, I know it was good material because I've been working with the same uh, varieties. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Friday night at 10, I, I couldn't even log on to like, and like to do anything because it like completely obliterated and crashed, which uh, you know, we talked about was a good thing uh, at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, everyone's really excited and that makes me happy. Um, you know, I've been doing a giveaway every Wednesday. So if anybody's interested in that, I'm giving out a full vial of uh, free fem seeds as long, along with some land rice and heirloom seeds. Um, so that's that's happening every single Wednesday. Uh, so if you're interested in that, feel free to jump in there. Uh, I do have a, a flowering tent that's full of all my phenos that I found from last year that no one's uh, ever had except rock candy, maybe that they're all uh, pregnant with uh, green Bodie's uh, breeders cut fem pollen. He sent me like a, there's a video on my feed. It's like, he gave me like, man, he gave me like a whole sandwich, like, like, like 
so much pollen it, it was like you could fill like an entire sandwich bag it was like ridiculous how much he sent me i was like wow this guy's you know because he had told me what i needed i was like well i'm trying to do a whole 10 and he sent me like a, a ridiculous amount uh which ensures that the job will get done uh, so those are all pregnant i'm seeing seeds everywhere and uh, at first when i did it i didn't know how to do it to do it uh you know to try and utilize the best way and there's many ways to do it so i basically just zip myself inside of the tent shut all the fans off and i took a those three little, the little milliliter, uh, you know, your, for your pH up and down. And I just kind of like poofed it everywhere and it actually turned out pretty well, uh, but I got seeds everywhere. So that's a good thing. Uh, so that'll be dry. You know, it's usually like five to six weeks, sometimes seven of uh, maturity. And here's a good tip for everybody. So what I do is uh, depending on when they get pollinated, if it's like later in flower, um, you know, the plant needs enough time to mature those seeds. So what I do personally is I actually flip the timer right back to eighteen uh, six. And what that does, it allows the plant to get so mature that the seeds will start falling out themselves. And that's how ripe they are. And it's, and it's a really good process to have uh, just really mature seeds. So that's what I did. I have them all on revert. Uh, and you get clones, you know, so you get your seeds and you get clones off it. It's, it's a win-win. Uh, so that's happening. And uh, other than that, man, just uh, over here trying to fulfill, fulfill orders, man. It's getting crazy over here. But uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for the show, Jack. If anyone wants to – I still have a bunch of those seeds left if you're interested, pbreeding.com. Um, predicated breeding on all social media platforms except twitter because they like kick me out and i can't figure out my password but uh yeah thanks for everything jack i'm glad everyone's here and i'll see you guys next week that's predicative p-r-e-d-i-c-a-t-i-v-e breeding as you would normally spell it uh or pbreeding.com kyle thank you so much for joining us that was some uh, very good tips on the seed making i've heard of people um mainly ethos genetics and uh, Rasta Jeff. I've talked about flipping back to the 18.6 or whatever. I've always just been too scared to do it. I just finish it like regular flower and I try to make sure to pollinate super early. But uh, with that said, I want to pass it next over to the American one. Thank you so much for joining us. Mac and everyone on the panel, this is an awesome chat. And yeah, definitely go to Predicative Breeding's uh, Instagram and browse through that. It's giving away seeds. It's, and uh, you just see it. Stuff is awesome. Um, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. And, uh, yeah, I'm always in chats everywhere. So if you need anything, you want to chat, hit me up and, um, yeah, shout out to, uh, Jack for hosting and shout out to chat. Thanks again. And next up we have Aaron, the grower. Thanks, Jack. Thanks chat um thanks panel i actually got to participate in chat for like 10 minutes tonight because i finished trimming and that's like a rarity I, I actually finished everything in my tray so i feel really good about that and um and i learned a lot you know tonight um from brandon before he bounced and kyle just now that was uh, really informative and um yeah man that the, the pollen sack from Bodie, that's like johnny appleseed man but you're the freaking you're the receiver of the giant apple seed, you, you know, that's, you got some real gold there. And, uh, this is a fun episode. So I had fun and, um, thanks for having me. I am Aaron, the grower, atgacres.com and atgacres on Instagram and YouTube. We'll see y'all next week. Thank you so much for joining us. And I agree. Uh, getting a bag full of pollen. I think ethos said that's the most valuable thing that he owns, like in his house, it's the thing that he secures the most highly and, and cares the most for, and a thimble full of pollen can have like a million plus grains. So, uh, each one of those can make a seed. So having a lunch bag full, that's uh, potentially tons and tons of seeds that can come from those crosses. So I'm really excited to see what you do with it. And uh, last and certainly not least, Matthew Gates. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed the the session today, and I thought that we had some pretty good questions. And it was cool to hear the uh, anecdotes from Spartan about um, uh, what he enjoyed. And I, I really appreciated having the opportunity to talk about my really soul uh, interaction with French Cannoli. So, um, you know, on that sort of dour note, I hope that everyone uh, works to appreciate their life while they have it, and uh, you know, say I loved you to the people that you really care about. And um, if you want to find out about IPM uh, related topics, you can find out uh, more on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, my Instagram, Sync Angel, also my Twitter, Sync Angel. And I have a, I do indeed have a video about uh, melanin and um, redox reactions and human photosynthesis uh, and looking at some claims related to that. It's going to be very interesting. So uh, look forward to that if you subscribe. I'll definitely be checking it out. It's definitely a little bit different than your typical uh, content that you cover, but I'm interested in it nonetheless. Always very scientifically minded and uh, well thought content. So I appreciate that and appreciate your time here on the panel. I want to say thank you. And uh, I love you all on this panel. I mean, Fuck I, really, yeah. I think it doesn't get said enough. And I love you guys like family. Like when I met Aaron, it was like, we've been friends forever. He felt, he looks like he could be my brother and like <laughs> felt like he was okay. too. So we got along better than I get along with at least one of my brothers. So it's um, great to meet some of the people in the community and just see this community be so strong, like Spartan, getting all those samples and gifts and getting to interact with all the people at the caregiving community. Um, I've had the, the pleasure of getting to do that a little bit out here in California as well and just can't wait to continue to do more and more of it. So thank you. And I love you guys all. Like uh, Matthew said, you got to say I love you to the ones that are uh, here while they're here and it's uh, important to make sure that's clear so I really reiterate and second that Jack to all you guys and, and many in chat too that uh, are well known enough so yeah and big ups to Dr. MJ who's not with us this week he's uh, in a move right now so he said he might not be with us for the next week or so a few weeks maybe so uh, big ups and Dr. Uh, MJ big love to you hope you have a great time with that move process and congratulations hope you got a great new place that you're very happy with and we also missed Noah the Grower this week, but he let us know that he wouldn't be here. And uh, we love you too, Noah. So hopefully we get you back sometime next week. And if not, it's all good. We do look forward to seeing you whenever you join us again. If you want to find me, I'm at Jack Greenstock, but most of you already know that. You can find me on uh, Cannabuzz as well as Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter and 50strains.com. Just 50strains.com because I'm going to do 50 strains of purple later in the year. And then I've already got 50 strains of green. So if you want a copy of that, you can get it on 50strains.com, both in the USA and internationally. If you want it in person, uh, Medleaf in Oceanside has it, as well as uh, Kineos Garden Center in Maine, as well as Great Lakes Genetics in Michigan. So thank you to all of those people for their support. And thank you to everybody who listens, both live on the YouTube and the podcast afterwards. I see lots of hearts in the chat, the green hearts. It's my favorite emoji. Uh, let it be known. I think that it's uh, worth spamming it and uh, spreading that love across the community. Growers love everybody. Big ups. Have a great week. See you all next week. Jack Green. Love you all. Out.